0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the introductory episode of Eisner Amper's CannaCast. I'm your host, Eric Allstetter, Eisner Amper's National Cannabis and Hemp Practice Leader. Today, we're going to discuss where the banking industry has been and where it's headed with respect to the cannabis sector with Peter Sue. Peter is the Vice President of Private Banking and Cannabis Banking Team Leader for BNB Bank. Welcome, Peter.
1: Hey, Eric. Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
0: Great, Peter. The first question is, how did you get involved in the cannabis space?
1: Uh, well, I, I can give you a fancy answer, or I can tell you the truth, which is I kind of fell into it. Um, when I came over here, I knew that they were starting a, uh, a cannabis program, that is, say B&B was, um, and um, you know, I, I kind of thought that I couldn't really compete in a wide open space. Um, and I guess after a bit, you know, they they recognized the talent, uh, and they uh, they said asked me to run it.
0: Well, we, By the way, we always like the, the, the true answer. That's always, I always <laughs> think that's the way to go. Uh, uh, the next thing is, is there's been a lot of banking regulation being proposed of late. The two big ones are the Secure and Fair Enforcement Act, well known as the Safe Banking Act, which was first introduced in 2019. What is the status of that, that Safe Banking Act?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I guess it's, it's stalled. So, so it's hard to say which way it's going to go. And, and, you know, with politics, who knows, right? I think there's a lot of optimism with, with the new administration and, and the, the key personnel that we see um, sort of moving into place and, and, and or moving out of place. I would say most people are very optimistic that they may, that may go through.
0: And Peter, if the, if the SAFE Banking Act is passed, how will that affect the cannabis industry and how will that affect the banks within the industry?
1: Sure. You know, honestly, my view might be slightly contrarian. I I don't necessarily think that any number of these measures, uh, you know, safe banking included, um, will have that profound of an impact. If you think about how we, uh, meaning the banks, get into or or not, for that matter, into the space, you know, we we mainly follow guidelines, right? So FinCEN guidelines are are available. Um, So any bank today that wants to bank cannabis certainly can, and they've already made that decision, obviously. So safe banking would just be another band-aid uh, on top of the situation so really uh, unless it's something like federal uh, uh, uh i i don't know that you know yet another band-aid move would necessarily move the dial now obviously i say that without knowing what the final language would be because if it has something like um, i don't know credit cards for example if credit cards suddenly become available well, that would be a sea change, you know, because I think a lot of banks don't jump in right now because of the overabundance of cash in, in, in the industry.
0: Now, now Peter, you also spoke about deschedulization. Now, that, that's an interesting term, especially for cannabis companies. And there is often discussions about whether or not cannabis can be deschedulized. What is your view of, of the next four years under the Biden administration? Do you see cannabis being deschedulized? And by that, I mean coming off Schedule 1 or even Schedule 2.
1: Yeah, I mean, here I guess we, we really get nuanced. If it becomes rescheduled, uh, uh, you know, so to your point, it comes down one one notch or two, that might actually be disastrous for the current industry as it exists, right? So, for example, it goes full medical, right? So now only you know FDA. Then really, it becomes a pharma kind of product, right? So to be clear, we're talking about descheduling, right? Like it's going to completely come off of sort of federal illegal list, if you will. I mean, for me to prognosticate that, uh, that I'm not sure about. But again, looking at sort of the key players that we, we already know or we believe Biden will have in place, yeah, a, a lot of optimism around serious movement uh, of that in this administration. Time frame, you know, that's hard to say, right? Politics has, has its own pace. I, I know that here in New York State, we've been talking to, you know, Barron Bound's office as well as State Senator Sanders uh, on the banking end. And they're very bullish here in New York about us being able to put some sort of program together and and or just putting a lot of uh, legislation around it to make the industry more, I don't know, fluid.
0: Right. And, And besides the Safe Banking Act, what other legislation is needed for cannabis to be like, say, alcohol or any other commercial enterprise?
1: Yeah, I think, well, specifically on the banking end, right, you know, honestly, I think just more guidance, I, I don't necessarily think any legislation has to do, I, I, I don't think we have to go crazy and reinvent the wheel, because if you look around, the reality is that the industry is banked. Now, the question is how and, and how many banks are involved and how much? And if there was simply just more and, and clear guidance from our primary regulators, uh, you know, FinCEN, um, OCC. If there was just simply more of that, I I think you would make a a big difference in in banks being able and being willing to jump into the space. From my perspective, it, it really doesn't need to go as far as, you know, propose legislation and let's create another act, right? I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is if you look around, let's say hemp and or CBD, so hemp is legal, right? But you don't necessarily see the big banks sort of jumping into the space. And, and and why is that? Well, you know, you, you've you probably seen like it, it's it's suffering death by agency right now. Now it's trickling down to, you know, the various uh, FDA and DEA, and then everyone's got the proposed legislation and everything like that.
0: On your side, when you're dealing with a cannabis prospect, how is the client acceptance policies or the due diligence you, you go through before accepting a client different? for a cannabis company as as opposed to any other commercial
1: enterprise? It's a good question. It's not that much, actually. Really, I look at it, it's no different than any process, anyone coming in looking to open an account. We just simply do more. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're we're doing, uh, well, in our case, we're doing background checks. You know, we're running criminal checks. We are asking a lot more questions. We do get a lot more granular as far as what sort of transactions you might want to do. And, and, and certainly we drill down further in terms of the ownership, so actual, you know, beneficial ownership of that business. So much, much deeper than we would on, on a, uh, you know, quote unquote regular account. But aside from that, it, you know, it, it's, it's nothing crazy. We, we, it is just a normal corporate docs and, and IDs for the principals and stuff like that. Um, again, on the back end, we, we are doing more. Put it this way, if it's a legit business with, with legit owners, you know, no criminals or anything like that, there's, there's it's going to be smooth sailing.
0: Have you found in recent, in the last year or two, that more and more banks are open to operating in in the space? And and by that, I'm not necessarily talking about lending, but just more operating in the space to allow companies to bank, so therefore avoiding the danger of of kind of operating day-to-day activities in cash.
1: A little bit of both. I've actually seen, believe it or not, I've seen some banks drop out. And it's a little surprising, I guess, because you would think the pendulum is swinging the other way. So yeah, on the one hand, I, I obviously you see it right that there is a there is a, a move in terms of acceptance overall, society as companies. I mean, look as recently as a few years ago, you, you couldn't go to a firm like Eisner Amper and, and, and get you know professional service, right? So I think the same thing with banking. Uh, but oddly enough, you're seeing that certain banks that have jumped in in the early days are, are, are starting to jump back out, and I think that goes back to what I said earlier about guidance. You know, the guidance that, that currently exists is not super clear and what is there can be onerous. So a bank might decide, okay, let's try it and then realize, you know, my God is a lot of work and, and we can't charge for it or we can't charge enough for it, or it's just not worth it. Right. Or, Hey, maybe, maybe they got fined. So I guess a little bit of both. I, I do see that more banks are having these discussions. I, I, I get inquiries sometimes, you know, I, I've had, I've had other banks reach out to me, but at the same time, I also know on the ground that certain banks are actually jumping out of the space.
0: Peter, you also t- touched briefly before on credit card processing. What, what do you see going on as far as the industry now with credit card processing? Is it, is it moving in the right direction?
1: It's not moving at all. Um, I, well, what's interesting is uh, it, it's, it's actually a very simple you know, reason, I guess, right? And, and Eric, you probably see this. that There's so many uh, options out there, so many solutions, so to speak, right? But all of them are some form of workaround. Because at the end of the day, uh, MasterCard and Visa has come out and they've said, you know, we don't want it. Don't put it on our rails. Right. And so anyone that is doing that, and let's be honest, you can walk into any number of dispensaries and see that they're taking credit cards. So so it's one of those like world's worst kept secret kind of thing. Anyone that is doing that in any location that you walk in that's offering a a cashless ATM, uh, a debit solution, credit solution they're all violating their terms in some way, shape, or form, and they're violating it by employing some sort of a workaround. Now, don't get me wrong, most of them work, and, and, and most of them will work for perhaps a long period of time. You know, at, at the end of the day, that, that there's some form of, you know, lying going on. So what do I see going on? I mean, uh, I, I think you're seeing a lot of these solutions uh, um, out there uh, being employed, and, and they work. At some point, they make it shut down, and and you've probably seen some time back there was a big lawsuit with Ease, where you know the guy is actually on charges, right, for for bank fraud, you um, hundred million dollars worth of bank fraud. So yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to the same question, you know, in the beginning, which is uh, uh, until that gets uh, uh, more clarity on on the federal level, and and the big networks decide, okay, here's how we can do it. Anything that you see out there is not sustainable. Great.
0: Well, Peter, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been very interesting to listen to your thoughts on the industry. And thanks for, to all our listeners for listening to this episode of CannaCast, which is part of Eisner Amper's podcast series. Please visit EisnerAmper.com slash cannabis for more information and podcasts. And please join us for our next CannaCast podcast, where we'll discuss other budding issues.